All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another edition of Shabbat Lounge. As always, I appreciate you taking a minute to uh, listen to the podcast and also encourage you to uh, give it a like, um, comment, share this with someone that uh, that might find it beneficial. And I uh, just thank you for um, spending some time with me today. And uh, today I'm just uh, flying solo and uh, just kind of decided to do something about Thanksgiving kind of on my own and uh, wanted to get that out uh, pretty quick. So as you can see, this is my website. Um, if you go to sabbathlounge.com, it will go right to this. I started off with it's yahushua.com and uh, either site will get you to Facebook, podcast, Twitter, voicemail, YouTube, and contact information. Also, uh, appreciate any uh, questions or comments from anything that we do. Also, especially um, the Hebrew Hammer uh, appreciates anything. Uh, if you're not sure what uh, what that refers to, if you refer back to an earlier podcast, I believe it's called Introducing Jake Hebrew Hammer, you will find um, an interesting, valid, complex argument that he makes there, and um, he's looking for people to uh, say something about it. So I encourage you to go take a look at it, see what you think. And last week we were honored with Michael from Michael Oman from across the pond to share with us uh, some thoughts about uh, the wedding language. And if you haven't checked him out, you've got to do that. Um, and, you know, he is a very sharp guy and has put some interesting things together for sure. So hopefully this is going to work okay. I'm going to switch uh, between browsers. And so <clears throat> today I pulled up this old post and I started writing this as Thanksgiving Pagan. And I'm going to probably put these two things together and so last year I did a post and I found this article about, um, you know, this guy wrote a book um, in 1652 called The Hope of Israel. And he talked about how the lost tribes in America, well, the pilgrims are connected to the lost tribes. And so I kind of started, started there. And then uh, so I started going, well, pilgrims. Well, who is William Bradford? And so... When I started, I pulled up William Bradford, and the first thing I started finding is I was like, whoa, 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 there's a William Bradford that's a Freemason. I was like, oh, danger, danger, ding, ding, ding. And he was a governor and um, of Massachusetts. And so I went and looked him up a little bit, and I believe this is uh, the William Bradford that comes over on the Mayflower. This is his son, and he's a little bit later. And so I kind of have a theory that I'm developing, and so I'll explain that as I go. So so that was interesting. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. And then I also start looking up um, this, and I find this article. Uh, and uh, I will post all of these links as well. And um, this was from Lee Gamble, Charles Green, The Sabbath in the British Isles. And uh, they talk about how um, that the Sabbath was – practiced as a seventh day sabbath for a long time until like the 1300s in britain and he cites um different uh people that he quotes here and um which i thought was kind of interesting but uh talked about how um even socrates wrote about many church fathers testified that sunday had not displaced the sabbath as late at least as socrates the church historian who wrote about the close 5th century, that with the exception of Rome and Alexandria, all churches throughout the whole world celebrate the sacred mysteries on the Sabbath day. Socrates, History of the Church, 
289 London 1880. And that is not the same Socrates that you might be thinking of, but uh, it was a, a another hist- a historian. And um, so anyway, I, I thought that was kind of interesting that you have – there's definitely seems to be proof that uh, practicing the seventh-day Sabbath definitely was something that happened in the um, British Isles for sure. So that gets me back to William Bradford. And so if you look up why did the pilgrims leave Holland because of Sabbath, well, you'll find all kinds of articles – uh, MayflowerHistory.com. Uh, they leave Holland because they strictly observed the Sabbath and is the and and not performing any labor on Sunday. So you know that's that that was interesting. That um, so so there's some interesting questions that you start to see develop here, and um, you also see <clears throat> some controversy. So some people say. It was, uh, so this one right here, the Pilgrims Keep the Seventh Day History of the Twelve. And so this article says that um, the Uniformity Act required the everyone to go to church on Sunday, and that's why they leave Holland. And, I, and this is kind of where I tend to fall, is I think this is probably true. And they joined the Mennonite Church in Holland and had protection. So, but it is interesting, and and I think it it gets so confused because the topic itself is confusing because it does the, you know the the Sabbath um, was meant to be the seventh day, and at some point people I think because it was the path of least resistance they began to to combine it on Sunday, and um, and then they try to attribute the real qualities of a seventh day Sabbath to Sunday. And uh, call it the Lord's Day, and so that there is something that happens, and so so anyway, I, I I'm going to stop right here and tell you, go check it out. I'm giving you all the links, and and give me some give me some feedback. Am I crazy? Um, let me know, you know. But this is kind of where my research leads me, and I also have to say, is it not amazing that we live in a day and time when we can just just instantly. Type in these things and find so many articles that your head explodes. And, and in this case, there, I found a lot of conflicting information. And uh, it might take more research than what I had today. And then I found this one. This is a article uh, about, it's from the University of Kentucky, about William Bradford. It's assignment. Uh, that someone had here, and I kind of like this assignment. And uh, what I did is I just did Control F, and I found all the word that he all the time Hebrews, the word Hebrew was listed. And so there is this thing that you see that William Bradford was trying to learn Hebrew, and um, he brought that over. And so there's a lot of evidence that they were learning Hebrew, that they were interested in going back to the real roots, to the real faith. And they wanted to get away from de- denominationalism that was already starting to creep in. So, so you have that. They forbid Christmas, and uh, so you know. So there's some interesting things that they do in this Puritan colony, and um, and I don't believe that William Bradford was a Freemason, but I do believe that his son was. And that's why. So anyway, so I'm going to give you once again, I'm going to give you that link. But when I Googled this, I found this young girl and uh, she claims to be 
his great great granddaughter or something to to a Bradford, and she writes this article about going back to um, his grave and look at what we have here, and which I find interesting. And then I also find interesting that you've got Hebrew right here. So, and I'm going to go ahead and click on it, <clears throat> and uh, so you can see her. And uh, Rachel is the one that went uh, and investigated this, and was her great great grandpa William Bradford. And so, um, anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting that here she is in front of this. I was going to see if I could get closer, but I can't. And uh, so, so anytime you see that, you kind of go, "Hmm, what's happening?" And um, you know, it does. You know, it does and should, you know, create some doubt in your mind about what's happening here. But if you think about it, I, you know, there is no evidence that says William Bradford Sr., who came over on the Mayflower, was a Freemason. But if his son was, his son was the one that paid for this marker. And yeah, he, this is what he decided to put up as an obelisk. So that's interesting. And that does fit in line with the Freemasons. And so, um, so anyway, I just challenge you as you research this uh, th to see if you come, you know, see what you come up with. And then, uh, but I want to go back, you know, you can see that old William Bradford, you know, he was, um, he was quite the looker, wasn't he? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, ta I guess just times have changed a lot. So, um, but uh, in definitely interesting look, um, especially with the collar. And that's, uh, that's just so weird. But anyway, I'm glad I didn't, don't, didn't live in that time. So here we have her. And then if you go Google, this is thebiography.com, you find William Bradford, governor, 1590 to 1657. So, and there's no mention in here about him being a Freemason. And it says he is a leading figure. And so this is kind of interesting. William Bradford was believed to have been born in Osterfield, Yorkshire, England, in March of 1590, with records indicating his baptism being around this time. His parents died early in his childhood, leaving Bradford in care of various relatives. Attending a religious service in Scrooby before his teen years, the youngster joined the separatist denomination, a more radical branch of the Puritanism that believed in removing itself from the Church of England, which is a good thing. He had other congregants eventually fl fled. He and other congregants eventually fled to the Netherlands to escape persecution through their adopted land. They still faced attacks due to the country's affiliation with England's King James I. So, then you go on down. It talks about the Mayflower and um, the Mayflower journey, and um, talks about him being a governor. And um, he, you know, as you all know, that uh, the Thanksgiving story happens, and he was thirty years, and um, he does help save this colony. And William Bradford has the famous quote: "If you don't work, you don't eat." And so this was a colony made up of aristocrats who um, were used to having people, having having people who do not have to do that work. And what happened is they came over to this new world and everybody died. And um, <clears throat> especially their servants because they had to work so hard. And then these people were left who didn't know how to do anything and their hands were soft. 
and they didn't have hard calloused hands and um, they just expected other people to do stuff for them. And uh, that's why Bradford's like, hey, look, he, there's no, there's not anybody that's going to do this for you. So if you want a warm fire, you better get out and swing an axe and you can have warm fire too. So um, that's kind of a little bit about Bradford. He does save the day. And uh, that's why you see him in a statue or I like to call it an idol, which is kind of interesting. So anyway, there's sites of bibliography there as well. And then when you look up the church and religion, this is a, a copy of the Pilgrim's Psalm book. The, by the way, if you're listening to this on a podcast, I would encourage you to go to YouTube and look at the YouTube on this because you'll see what I'm there's visual references here, and, and so you don't get that on the podcast, but you may be driving and not have that option. But later, definitely go check it out. But anyway, Church and Religion, this is from mayflowerhistory.com slash religion. So <clears throat> this one uh, just goes on about some of the tenants in the church hierarchy that they had. Um, the church building was... Um, you know, I like this right here. It was kept intention, intentionally drab and plain with no religious depictions, crosses, windows, fancy architecture, or icons to avoid the sin of idolatry. At Plymouth, the Pilgrim's Church was the bottom floor of the town's fort ship, the town's fort. The top floor had six cannons, which I like that. So anyway, so it was a pretty plain Jane. And then so according to this article... The pilgrims began their church on Sunday. So, and some of these things do come out of the articles and the journals that they wrote. They did believe in infant baptism. I'm not saying that these guys had it all figured out, but I do think it's interesting that here in America, we have this group of people who came over for religious freedom. They don't practice um, Christmas and they keep a seventh day Sabbath, which is all interesting. So here's an article about observing the Sabbath. And um, so, once again, check out the links, see what these people say. And then I went on and I found this article. This from cogwriter.com, Early Sabbath Keepings of America. And so this article basically states, and so, so my theory is that William Bradford was originally a Seventh-day Sabbath Sabbath keeper. Somewhere along the line, either his son, you know, it does look like his son becomes a Freemason. And I believe that uh, that's probably the point where this changed to Sunday was somewhere in there. But from the, there's journal articles. That's what this article accounts is saying that you can go find journal articles where they wrote down that uh, they're doing a Sunday Sabbath. Because right here it's called it's from the Journal of the English Plantation at Plymouth, Plymouth, with P L I M O T H, which you know it's for real because it's spelled funny, and that's how they would have spelled it. So, but the next morning, being Thursday, the twenty-first of December, Saturday, the twenty-third, so many of us as could went on shore, felled, and carried timber to provide themselves stuff for building. Sunday the 24th, our people on shore heard a cry of some savages, they thought. When I was teaching school, I always told kids that uh, they, they called them the naked savages, which I do believe that is true. 
Anyway, which caused an alarm and to stand on the guard expecting an assault, but all was quiet. Monday the 25th, they went ashore. So anyway, um, talks about how right here, Friday and Saturday, we fitted ourselves for our labor. But I do go, hmm, labor is not spelled correctly there. They would have had a U in that. But anyway, um, maybe they just didn't translate it quite right. I, I don't know, or changed it. So, but, you know, that's where some of the people start making the arguments that, yes, indeed, they did keep a Sunday Sabbath. Then I found this site is graceandknowledge.faithweb.com pilgrims, the pilgrim Sabbath. And so somebody's answering the question about exactly what we're talking about. And then <clears throat> somewhere down here, they talk about journal entries. Um, so it says two of the entries in this journal indicate that it was the custom of the pilgrims to rest and meet for worship on Sunday. In early December of 1620, the Mayflower was off the coast of what is now Massachusetts as the pilgrims looked for a good location for a settlement. According to the journal, 10th of December, on Sabbath day, we, with two E's, rested. And on Monday, we sounded the Haba with a U, and we found it very good. Harbor for our shipping. Saturday, and then, then for January 1621, they said Saturday 20th, we made up a shed for our common goods. Sunday, the 21st, we kept our meeting on land. So, anyway, you know, that's uh, some other evidence going on. Then I found this article called the12tribehistory.com, Pilgrims Kept the Seventh Day Sabbath. And from an article, uh, okay, so then I found, you know, there's a connection with the Anabaptists and the Mennonites, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, you know, I never really, I remember learning about Anabaptist in a world history class, and it just seemed weird and strange at the time to me. And so I should have paid attention a little bit more, apparently. And, um, but anyway, according to this, this was Don A. Sanford, a cho cho chosen people, the history of the Seventh day Baptist, Broadman Press, Nashville, Tennessee, 1992. He wrote this article about how Baptist heritage is closely related to um, some people that did keep Seventh-day Sabbath, so, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then, in fact, the Scroby Congregation, I believe we saw that before, started stated that the Seventh-day Baptist Church in America, among the Scroby Congregation, so, so anyway, so there's a link to Seventh-day Baptist, so... All you good Baptists out there, or people with a bag, Baptist background, uh, you might find that interesting. It says, the pilgrims came from three churches in Scroby, Gainsborough, and Southwark. They fled to Holland, where many attended with the Mennonites. The Mennonites were the descendants of the Waterlissons, who fled also to Holland. The Mennonites were Seventh-day Sabbath keepers. Members of the Scroby. Excuse me, Scroby Congregation relatedly found founded the Seventh Day Seventh Day Baptist Church, 1705. There you go. So next you have this one, Herbert W. Armstrong, and he writes about the Pilgrim Sabbath case of mistaken identity, and he argues the case 
that uh, many people have thought that they kept the true um, and and so he, he basically says there is very much great confusion about um, the Sunday Sabbath and he does say um, apparently <clears throat> it does seem to get changed to Sunday and according to journal writing so it does seem like there's a lot of journal writings but but I do believe at some point some of the, many of these Puritans were seventh day Sabbath keepers and something happened um, and they uh, became a Sunday keeper and that's kind of where our modern blue laws came from and the way we still view Sunday today in America was largely because of that and that kind of makes sense. So then I started finding this old book and um, this it, this book is um, let's see it is Neely History of the Puritans volume 2 and page 285 129 43 197 and more if you uh, go to Google and you can find this basically uh, I believe it's an open source book because it is so old and um, you can type in in this little search box Sunday and it will pull up all these things about talking about Sunday being um, the first day of the week. So anyway, it, it's definitely interesting to go check those things out. And then I found this one. You know, this is just on good old Wikipedia, Puritan Sabbatarianism, Reformed Sabbatarianism or Sabbat. Sabbatarianism, unlike the Seventh-day Sabbatarians, Puritan Sabbatarians practiced a first-day Sabbatarianism. So, anyway, um, then you got John Calvin here, and yeah, John Calvin. And then I also uh, found this article, and uh, which was, well, oh, that's the same girl, so sorry, I forgot that was in there twice. And so I believe... Uh, that's it. So I just wanted to come back to, uh, once again, I challenge you to um, to go research this, see if it's true, you know, um, see what your conclusion is about William Bradford and the Puritans and the Pilgrims. And, you know, in our house, we have decided that, I mean, yeah, there are some things that kind of make you think uh, this is a pagan tradition, you know, but there's not a whole lot of that. It's mostly... Uh, most of the record of Thanksgiving points you to they were people who nearly died, who gathered up, partnered with the natives, share a meal together, which they made a covenant. So, you know, as you, for you and I who uh, know a little bit about Torah, we understand that eating a meal with someone is making a covenant. And so they made a covenant with these Indians and it was a peace covenant and they said hey we're going to try to get along here and let's stop killing each other and so they have this feast they have this meal and um and and they are thanking god um thanking yahuwah for the feast and so i, I think that you find a lot more support that it is a non-pagan tradition but i know people out there feel like it is so I'm open to that. You know, if you can prove it to me beyond a shadow of a doubt with sources, books, page numbers, website entries, bring it on. Show it to me. Do it. Put it in the links. 
So anyway, I appreciate you taking a listen. And uh, if you do celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving with friends and family and food. And I hope your boss gives you at least one day off so that you can enjoy those things. And uh, once again, I thank you for listening to Shabbat Lounge. And always I ask if you would give it a like, comment, subscribe, check out the WordPress blog, uh, check out the YouTube feed. It's in lots of places. There's a social media account on the Twitters and on the Facebooks. And um, so anyway, um, check out those things. And I definitely appreciate you taking a listen. And uh, once again, thank you for listening to Shabbat Lounge.